Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I have an amazing interview with Dr. Kara Pepper. She's an internist who specializes in helping with eating disorders. And we have a really amazing conversation about where exactly does this body mass index, the BMI, where does that originate from and how it really is not a great tool. So I think you might actually be very shocked to hear this information because nowadays it has become so socially acceptable and in medicine it is steeped in every single area. However, it's really coming from a place that's going to shock you and also how it evolved over time. If that is something that you want to learn more about, I think that's going to be really interesting for you. The other thing that we really dig into is how either as a patient or as a clinician can we help to support patients with eating disorders more. I think something that we talk about is that really we have to almost assume that someone has this because it really lives with a lot of secrecy and shame. And it's actually something that can be quite challenging to even elicit on history. And so this is something that I think everyone is going to benefit from because you might be someone that you sort of maybe deep down, you actually know that you do have some challenges, but no one has actually ever asked you these things in a clinical setting. And so she has some really great questions that you can ask your medical team if this is something that you're struggling with. So please feel free to listen today and please feel free to look at the show notes today. I really want to remind you if you're someone that is struggling with this, please reach out to your medical team for help. There is help available and I will have links down in the show notes if you want additional help and assistance with this. Thank you so much, Dr. Pepper, for coming on today. You are someone that I highly respect. I have followed for a long time and I think a lot of the knowledge that you're going to share today is really missing from what people know, yet it's so critical for how they're judging themselves and not getting the care that they deserve. Can we start out with just telling everybody who you are and who you help just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I love the work that you're doing and helping both clinicians and patients kind of forge together as a team. So I'm Kara Pepper. I'm a licensed primary care internist in Atlanta. Long before I was a physician, I was a professional ballet dancer, so I brought all my perfectionism and workaholism with me into medicine, looked great on paper, epically burned out, and so started this kind of how do I survive as a human in medicine journey. That's what led me to asking for coaching and therapy help for myself, really fell in love with that evidence-based support that we can offer our colleagues, and so became a coach and continued to practice medicine and ultimately made the decision to say, I love taking care of patients. I hate the way that I'm doing it in my large commercially owned practice. And so I left after 14 years at the peak of my career to start my own practice where I now see patients across the Southeast, especially folks who struggle with eating disorders. So that's the short story. (laughs) There are so many aspects that I hear in your story that I can relate to. And I've shared on my podcast sort of what it looked like when I was in different clinic settings versus now. And it's just amazing the different level of care that you can provide and how you can care for yourself and patients. So one of the things that I really hear you talk a lot about, and I think that no one really understands this, it's the origin of where the body mass index comes from. And I've been very vocal 
on this podcast of saying that I really don't think that this is a good metric long-term for people to use. Would you be willing to explain a little bit where it comes from and then kind of how it evolved with time with the drug industry and where we're at currently? Yes, this could be a series of podcasts, just this one topic itself. And I will start just by saying that there are plenty of marginalized voices who have written about this, talked about this, especially Sabrina Strings, who's written Fearing the Black Body. But I'll summarize as best I can. So if you think about way back in like the 15 to 1700s, when you look at those Renaissance paintings, they are full-figured people. And and fatness as a neutral term, not as a derogatory term, was synonymous with health and wealth. And so really having a larger body was, was considered ideal. And as colonialization started to take over the world, the othering of people of color who had more curvaceous or larger bodies than the malnourished working class white folks of Europe it became this way to other those bodies to say that thin white is the ideal moral standard and blackness and full figuredness is is not and so in the 1800s and 1830s there was a astronomer by the name of Adolf Ketelet who was not in healthcare but he wanted to find a way to measure what the quote normal body would look like and so he came up with what we now know as the BMI, which is basically this like height and weight comparison. But it's important to note that he was usually only French and Scottish men at the time. So these were like people with poor food supply who were male, who were white and were laboring in the 1830s. And so his work then became this basis for, for measuring how can we measure the size of someone's body and use that against them, use that to other them, use that to say they are not worthy. And so it wasn't until about 100 years later in the insurance industry in America where people started to say, how can we make money off of life expectancy? So they started looking at small, medium, or large size frames, and that was all self-reported. But this idea that perhaps people of different sized bodies might live different life expectancies got into our culture. Um, and in the night. Eight, let's see, 1972, Ansel Keys really was the one who solidified the BMI in medicine. So he said, let's look at the ways that we know how to measure fatness or adiposity at this point. So they looked at body density, meaning like submerging someone in water and measuring their fat by that capacity, the BMI and fat calipers, so pinching fat and measuring it manually. And of those three metrics, the BMI was the best of the worst, meaning only about 60% of the time did it ac accurately measure adiposity. But the important thing to know is that the cohort that he used, again, was only male. And they were from Italy, the United States, Finland, Japan, and South Africa. And the Bantu men, the Black men from South Africa, skewed the data. They didn't kind of fit into this bell curve. So he took them out and just continued to use white and Asian men for that. And so the NIH in the 1980s, you started using the BMI as a measurement of obesity, but they said overweight, the cutoff was 27 and a half to 30. And I'll use the word obesity here medically and not in a derogatory way, but obesity was measured with a BMI greater than 30. Um, and in 1995, the WHO expert committee started adopting that. So it kind of infiltrated our, our medical system, our, our research trials and all of those things then. But the interesting part is in the late 1990s, 1998, the International Obesity Task Force, whose two principal funders were companies making weight loss drugs at the time, FenFen and Redux, um, they changed the BMI cutoff from overweight at 27.5 to 25. Therefore, overnight, millions of Americans then qualified for these drugs. 
And so it was absolutely to make money that these these guidelines were set in place. And so when we've looked at the BMI specifically in marginalized populations, um, it overestimates in people of color, it underestimates it in Asian populations, it does not correlate for women and across age spectrum. In fact, we know that for people who have a heavier BMI as they age, their life expectancy is longer. So it is fraught with misinterpretation, but at this point, it is baked into everything that we do. And there's a generation, actually two generations of doctors at this point who are trained that like thinness equals health. And that's just in the medical system. And there's so much more I could say about that, but but that's the take home is that the BMI is not a great metric for what we're looking at. You know, th- thank you for sharing this. I honestly, it's quite heavy when I hear this, right? Because I think yeah. it really, it makes you question everything you know, right? From a medical standpoint, but also just if patients are listening. And I think something that's interesting is because we've been indoctrinated with this for so long, it's almost hard to believe anything else. And so I think it would take a lot of reading and listening to other things and immersing yourself in other things, such as listening to this podcast, one of those type of things to believe anything else. And what I always tell people sort of subscribe to something called like your best weight, which is it's going to declare itself. You're going to like your habits. You're going to feel good. You're not going to be thinking about food all the time. And People have a hard time hearing that versus I'm going to set a goal weight, which I just find 100% counterproductive. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't get us anywhere. But when you say things like this, it makes me think of people that really want to get down to those lower BMI numbers. And if we look at it from studies, they might be quite obsessed with food at that point, things like mm-hmm. that. And this really explains a lot you saying, hey, they just decided let's just drop it by a few points, right, to, to increase who qualifies. So that's I just want people to hear here if you're quite shocked, that's okay. And maybe just to give yourself some time to sit in that, mm-hmm. that this might be new information to you. I know before I before I started listening to you, I didn't know a lot of this. And I always am the first one to tell everybody I'm always learning myself. One person mm-hmm. can't know everything or understand all stigma bias. It's really something where I'm continually learning. So thank you for sharing that with us. What are things then that you recommend that people look at for health if BMI is not going to be the main thing to focus on? Yeah. So every patient that comes into my clinic, I ask them, like, how do you know that you're healthy? What does health mean to you? Right. And and honestly, because we are all across the board, well before even physicians end up in medical school, we are all indoctrinated with thin equals health. So often that's what I hear. Oh, I just want to be thinner, then I can be healthy. And I'm like, tell me what you mean by healthy, like really nail that down. And so often when you dig in, it's I want to be able to get on and off the floor with my grandkids without pain. I want to be able to sleep through the night. I want to be able to feel connected with people I care about. And like that has literally nothing to do with the size of one's body. You can achieve all of those things. So prioritizing the patient and their unique values is the the primary goal of care and then figuring out all the ways that we can go about doing that. And the question that I tell physicians, clinicians to use and patients to ask for is, if you could not change the size of my body, what would you recommend? If we were not looking at thinness as a metric, what else would you recommend, right? Because we do that all the time in medicine. We say, oh, you're allergic to this medicine. Let me figure out another option for you. So weight is no different. You can achieve those goals without inducing restrictive eating behavior. I love that you bring that up because I I think that the goal should never be just to, I just call it shape shrink, right? Like well, that's mm-hmm. not the goal. It really doesn't change the thoughts that you have about yourself or how you feel, things like that. People think weight loss solves everything. It does not. Mm-hmm. And I love that question. What a good one that everyone can ask. 
So one of the other things I think that gets missed, and this is something that I think you're really a champion of, is I don't think that we appropriately screen for eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I will say I was guilty of this in the past in clinic. I would have someone come to me and they would say, I want to lose weight. I took it at face value and I would just throw out a random recommendation. Like it would literally be within minutes of talking to them. Something would come out of my mo- my mouth that likely was not helpful for them. And now I know better, but I'm wondering How do we do a better job with that, either clinicians or patients making sure that they're getting screened appropriately? Yes. So for the clinicians listening to this, you have just like diastolic murmurs, you have to like listen for and listen for again. You have to assume that every patient has them, even if you don't hear it on the first pass. Eating disorders are the same way. They thrive in shame and secrecy. So patients often are not going to show up and say, hey, I have an eating disorder. And if they do, you know they've done a ton of work to get to the place where they can say that out loud. They've probably seen a therapist and a dietitian or perhaps received some higher level of care. So very rarely will a patient come up and say, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. And physicians are not taught to screen. So there's this big gap in between. So for clinicians, I'll say, just assume that every patient has some degree of eating disorder behavior because we're all indoctrinated with diet culture. And while we often we have these DSM-5 criteria for anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, ARFID, et cetera. The behaviors are very subtle. And frankly, we may think they're normal. Like, oh, intermittent fasting, you just like don't eat for 16 hours of the day. That's normal. When in fact, that is a restrictive eating disorder behavior. Or, oh, you really love going to the gym and you're obsessed with CrossFit and you have keto diet and you are really rigid and you can't go out to eat with your friends and family. That is on the spectrum of eating disorder behavior. So one is really asking about behaviors, specifically like, tell me how you ate yesterday. How did you fuel your body? I don't ask about calories. I don't ask about macros. I say, tell me how you feel your body. Secondly is, do you ever, you know, tell me what your relationship is with food, diet, food, exercise, and your body? Do you have a persistent desire to be thin? Does it make you nervous to think about gaining weight? And you can ask about specific behaviors. Do you ever purge to get rid of food that you've already eaten? Do you ever over-exercise in anticipation of or a result of of what you've eaten? Do you have trouble with certain sensory textures of foods? Do you ever avoid foods because you don't like the way that they feel? So there's specific questions that we can start using to screen for. And then for patients, there are a number of resources out there with lists of dietitians, therapists, and clinicians who are health at every size certified or or engaging with. That means that we accept that there's health at every size, that you don't have to be thin. So finding someone who has that kind of mentality can be a struggle, but finding someone in your community will make a huge difference. And telemedicine has actually really opened the doors because you don't actually have to live in the same city as that provider anymore. I hear this a lot from patients. I just serve Indiana and Illinois, but Mm -hmm. they wish that I was in other states because my type of approach, everyone always says, where can I find someone that takes that approach? And I honestly don't know the exact person, right? I haven't worked with everyone and it's very tricky to recommend. So do you know what is the name, for example, of a website where they can find a healthy at every size informed physician or registered dietitian, things like that? Yes. And I'm sure you can put these in your show notes, but there are organizations that are aligned with that, both from an eating disorder standpoint and and a social justice access standpoint. And I'll make sure that I give them to you. This has been so incredibly helpful. And I I think a, a big thing I'm taking away from what you're saying is that we really need to rethink what is normal or what we're just accepting day to day. And 
finding people that maybe can help us on that journey because we might know that it doesn't feel good where we're at, but we really don't know where to get the the help for things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the first step is always just acknowledging one, it's like a fish in water. Like we don't even realize that we're underwater until someone points it out or pulls us out of the ocean and we say, wow, that's it feels so different out here. So I think particularly for people who have been marginalized by our healthcare system, who don't feel safe in our healthcare system or who have been traumatized. This is not new news to any of them. But for those of us who still believe that thinness equals health, I think that's always the first step. And then secondly, to really prioritize what is important to me. Like, what are my goals? If changing the size and shape of my body is not on that list, what are my goals in terms of my health? What will help me live the best most connected, most fulfilled, peaceful life, whatever is important to you, and then start crafting your goals around that. Yeah. Thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I just wanted to help open that up to people and hopefully we'll have some really great resources in the show notes if people want to explore this further. How can people find out more about you? Because I know that they're going to be very interested in that. Yeah, thanks. So if you can remember my name, you can find me. So it's Kara with a K, Kara Pepper md.com. That's my website on every social media platform. I'm Kara Pepper MD. I've just started a podcast that tells real stories of humans who are struggling because we all have a story. So you can find me there and feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions or point you in the right direction. Thank you so much for coming on today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you for having me.